Join the Beatmax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Spaceballs. Watching it with me is Becky Lee. Hi, Becky, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very good. Uh, thank you for bringing your copy of Spaceballs from Mr. Rental. This is, um, we're actually watching the film after it's finished, so we can talk about the whole thing. What's so special about Spaceballs for you? Uh, well, there's, my family have a lifelong history with Mel Brooks films. Um, so uh, I think it was Blazing Saddles as the first one that we were allowed to see. I got, I think it was, I was, um, I had a good parents evening or something and it was, I was allowed to watch <laughs> Blazing Saddles as a treat. And then sort of everyone um, followed on. But Spaceballs is the one that me and my brothers have w- watched most often between us. And I think it's probably the one that we quote like in regular conversation a lot. Um, so it's just one of those films that's just always been around. Yeah, I think this is one that I... I mean, I, I guess my parents weren't massively into to Mel Brooks films. I think Blazing Saddles was about the only one that I vaguely remember seeing or having in the background as a kid. And, and being a massive Star Wars fan, seeing anything... And even at the time, I probably wasn't old enough to acknowledge a parody or a mistake mm. or anything like that. But, but seeing this and actually laughing while watching it even though obviously so many of the jokes I wouldn't get until I was a lot older <laughs> you know as, as parodies go I mean it's the only certainly the only Star Wars one I, I think as I've enjoyed watching um, there's a lot I mean I, I know you know it's more of a Star Trek thing I suppose Galaxy Quest mm. would be an equivalent for, for Star Trek I suppose but I, I, I never saw that once, and I wasn't really into people who listen to the Star Trek episode. I'm not a huge Star Trek fan, <laughs> but but I mean, this for me, I suppose, was so perfect. It had Rick Moranis, who I think at the time John Candy, who at the time you know, couldn't do any wrong in my eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everything revolving around Dark Helmet, which is probably <laughs> a joke in itself. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. I think. Again, it was one of the, you went over my helmet quotes um, we used to use a lot if someone sort of bypassed the the regular traditions. I mean, the, the film opens, you know, very much in the, the Star Wars mould. It's got the, the opening text, the crawl, explaining the whole, essentially explaining the whole plot. You know, so there's not, not too many to give away, but um, it's talking about Princess Vespa's wedding day and the space balls being this... You know, you quite quickly see throughout the film, they're certainly not ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> and slightly inept at all. Yeah. Um, and, and the one bit I do remember from the end, which I always half picture every time I see Star, a Star Wars film now, is the bit that says, uh, if you can read this, you don't need glasses at the end. <laughs> yes. Small print. Yes, that always, like, I, I, the bit that I noticed this time was the um, benounced, unbeknownst to the princess, but nounced to us. And that really made <laughs> me giggle even before we got to the glasses bit this time. Yeah. Everything in there, I suppose it's like most things, but you kind of see it when you watch it differently. Everything is there with a purpose. There's, I suppose it's like the equivalent of when we watched Airplane for an episode before. And you kind of see all these little bits that, you might need to have watched it 10 or 15 times before you really notice. Yes, and they're always like the little bits as well, that, mm. um, like the little wordplay bits. I think that's that's the bit that I noticed the most this time around, was all the little puns. I mean, the jamming the radar, which I'm sure we'll get to later, is just a classic, but there's lots of little things. And, you know, the, if you can uh, read this, you don't need glasses. And then, again, when you get to the ship... 
and the bumper sticker we break for nobody is just all those little like visual cues that you pick up on yeah i always wanted a bumper sticker like that for my car but uh, <laughs> could never find one yeah <laughs> one thing i, I think I, I definitely missed as a kid i say kid i was probably nine or ten when i watched this the first time um was the opening with the ship <laughs> this huge long ship and I always thought, oh yeah, it's like the one from Star Wars at the beginning. And it's only when I was older and I actually watched Alien that I think, you know, that was clearly more the rip-off of that. Yes. Yeah, with um, the shape and the, the sort of the outward, like, texture of it. Yeah, or I suppose Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. That'd be a similar time. But, um, yes. Uh, one one thing, I, I guess, and, and maybe this is the benefit of not watching something off, off the telly of, of the 80s or on a VHS or Betamax is that watching it in HD you can see how much detail went into the model mm. um, and doing some I say doing some reading it's normally Wikipedia and IMDB but um, <laughs> looking at some of the background into this you realise how much I say involvement but how much assistance Mel Brooks was given by George Lucas yes That's surprising it was yeah I'm, it's not something I realised until I'd done a bit of reading into the podcast it was just uh, into the podcast into the film <laughs> Um, <clears throat> until um, yeah, until today, I was sat reading it, and I, like all the um, industrial like magic effects that they were allowed to use, and um, the sound effects and things, and the fact that George Lucas loved it so much, he pretty much gave Mel Brooks free reign, uh, which I love. I think that's that's so good to to know about that sort of relationship between two filmmakers. Yeah, and I guess it kind of paints George Lucas in a light that. I mean, it's difficult to say now, you know, we're talking in, in 2020 and Star Wars is very much a Disney beast now, but at the mm. time it was all his. And we were sort of just off the back, I think I, when I did the Ewok movies, that was 84, 85. Mm. Um, and it's hard to tell, you know, do you think George Lucas had much of a sense of humour? I mean, he obviously did. Yeah, I think, because I, there's a quote from him, isn't it? that said, like, he didn't stop laughing for the entire movie. Um which I think, like, when you... I, I think Spaceballs has a reputation as one of sort of Mel Brooks' lesser films, uh, especially when you compare it to something like Young Frankenstein or Blazing Saddles. But I, I love the idea of George Lucas sat watching the film and just giggling at all the things that were taking the mick out of his franchise. Yeah. And, and they were mostly done with sort of love, I suppose, as well. Yeah. I mean, was it George Lucas' only condition on it was you can't sell any merchandise? Yes. <laughs> having only just realised this a couple of years ago, I think I was it kind of... It kind of put something to bed in my brain that I was always the yeah, flamethrower. It seems like the perfect tie-in, doesn't it? That yeah. they set it all up for you um, until after the movie. But, yeah, I always wanted um, Spaceballs the bedsheet. I always thought that was <laughs> yeah. the coolest thing. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose it's slightly ruined by the fact that President Scrooge is <laughs> using it while with two yes. blonde ladies. Uh... Yes, my poor innocent brain didn't connect the two things <laughs> yeah. when I was a kid. I think I've still got my original A-Team duvet cover from when I was a kid. Oh, amazing. But, um, yeah, not still not quite as good as the Spaceballs one. <laughs> the first sort of interaction we have with any characters here is... Um, Colonel Sanders. Um, and played so straight as well. Like The uh, the only reference is the Colonel Sanders chicken <laughs> line. And I, I love the fact that it's just dropped in there initially and nothing's done with it. You just expected to pick up on it. I saw your tweet on it earlier and I just thought, you know, this is... 
<clears throat> it's one of those where you don't want to make too much of a meal of it. Everyone, everyone knows the joke. The joke's in front yeah. of you, but don't don't milk it too much. But um, I was just going to say, I think that's one thing that um, Brooks does really well in this one is that there are a lot of running jokes, but in his later films, he tends to milk them a bit too much. Mm. But I think in Spaceballs, he definitely sort of there's enough reigning in, so it doesn't quite get old before the end of the film. Yeah, touched upon earlier. You know, Mel Brooks has this you know, astounding CV of movies. And it seems almost cheap to, to pick this. I mean, this is the main 80s one, I guess. But the, but mm. this is the one that I cling to more than, you know, even though I, you know, I've seen Blazing Saddles several times and it is a better film. I think it's yeah. just the fact that this was my film when I was a kid um, in the way that probably not many kids watched Blazing Saddles and certainly not in my household, and I guess they wouldn't have been showing this on a Saturday afternoon on BBC Two. Yes, uh, yeah, and I, I think as well it's got that sort of childish accessibility to it um, because it's Star Wars, but it's parodying, you know, with Blazing Saddles. If you didn't watch Westerns every Sunday with your dad, you're probably not going to pick up on a lot of the, the references it's making, and same with Young Frankenstein if you're not as familiar with Universal. But I think because it's Star Wars and because um, there's all sorts of other references in there to things like Star Trek um, and the silly jokes as well, like the Colonel Sanders. I think it's one of his most accessible for younger audiences, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on other episodes where, you know, my, I mean, my dad used to love John Wayne and, and Clint Eastwood films. And, and I, I don't know, I never really got into them at the time. I, I did certainly with Clint Eastwood ones later on, but he always said, oh, you'll be like this with Star Wars when you're my age. And uh, of course he was right, but... <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and again, it probably was until I started watching those sort of Western films that I, that Blazing Saddles went beyond a funny film with funny jokes and stuff to, to one that you could really appreciate. Yes, exactly. Um, and it seemed like we watched a lot of Westerns when I was growing up, but I think there's such a context around Blazing Saddles, you know, that what it did to the Western genre and what it was doing for... Uh, the exploration of African American characters in westerns, all of that kind of thing. There's sort of there's so much going on with it. Don't a film, returning to Spaceballs. I think like it's sort of almost the perfect counterpoint to that in that you don't really need context apart from Star Wars, and it is just a relentlessly silly film, yeah. and like gloriously so. I mean, it really revels in the fact that it's completely bonkers and and ridiculous and i think that's what makes it work on on that level i mean within about four minutes we've got um dark helmets arrival on the scene <laughs> and and immediately his you know he's got his face mask that he says he can't breathe in this thing and um yeah. the the lackey the the space board has called the president to let him know and this is something that again was cut from the tv version that i saw when dark helmet takes the ring out sticks it on his finger and the guy goes shit <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see that until I was probably 15. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then um, yeah. and then it's suppose it's like if you were Darth Vader, but you had the mind of a also Jay from the Inbetweeners, what would you do? <laughs> You'd shoot lasers at people's balls. Yes. Yes. And I love the fact that it becomes a joke throughout the film. Like whenever his ring appears, <laughs> anyone near them covers their crops. Yeah. <laughs> like, doesn't matter what he's doing, whether he's being nice or not. It's just immediately there's that pose where they all like protect themselves. I suppose having that fear over people in, in some ways isn't a bad thing. Bear in mind it's Rick Moranis under there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. And for all the helmet size, he's no more intimidating, I don't think. And the whole plot of them arriving at planet Druidia to steal uh, 10,000 years of fresh air. It's mad just to, to steal <laughs> air from a planet. It's this whole strange concept that, I mean, it's, it's a MacGuffin of some sort, really. It's not a, a a huge, I mean, it's the plot, but it's not particularly relevant. But it's um, it's just a, a machine for all these gags to come in, you know, where they're looking at planet Druidia and they say, is that it? No, that's Mr. Coffee. and it's a display of a coffee machine and then they move to Mr. Radar (laughs) yes just so weird what's the matter with this thing what's all that churning and bubbling you call that a radar screen no sir we call it Mr. Coffee care for some yes I always have coffee when I watch radar you know that of course I do sir everybody knows that of course we do sir and it's it's just it's so simple like that one of the things I noticed particularly is that, like the the humor itself, there's nothing particularly clever going on for the most part. It is just those silly little, you know, air, like airplane type gags where it's just sort of scattershot, and some land um, and some don't, you know, um, for the most part. But like the Mr. Radar thing is again when you notice it for the first time, it's just it's hilarious, and I don't, I can't put a finger on why, but I find it hilarious every time and the fact that they're explaining the plot of taking the 10 pounds and then breaking the fourth wall and just going you got that yeah good <laughs> yeah so you, you're all clear right yeah yeah you ha- we haven't forgotten about you don't worry yeah <laughs> so we cut to druidia which is just i, I know mel brooks has spoken about this you know everything is druish instead of mm. jewish it's um hardly disguised and i think one of the quotes i saw was that he said it's the thing of i'm most ashamed of and the thing i'm proudest of is that i kept it all in mm. um i mean it's <laughs> being not jewish myself i guess it's difficult to to take a lot of that on board but i guess it is a it's not very light touched about some of the stereotypes I was jumping ahead slightly. She 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 gets kidnapped by the space balls in order to to get the air, and the dad is just as concerned as his very flashy Mercedes is about to get seized. Yeah, I I think it's there's probably a better film, I would guess, to explore uh, Mel Brooks' relationship with the his sort of Jewish heritage because he he does it a lot, like the rabbi in Men in Tights. Again, it's sort of very stereotypical, but I. I I like that he sort of he almost owns it in that way. Like you can understand why he's ashamed of putting the stereotypes in, but also it's almost undercutting the stereotypes by the fact that he's indulging in them. If that makes sense. Yeah, he seems to he seems to enjoy it, and I think the fact that this plot is giving him license to do so. Yes. It's um, I mean they are stereotypes, but there's nothing. I guess it's difficult. There's, there's nothing hugely malicious in there. It's just having a bit of fun. At, the Jewish people's expense that I suppose you'd have to be Mel Brooks to really be able to get away with. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's he's the only one really in a position to be able to do that kind of thing. And just after the wedding where um, Princess Vespa runs away because she doesn't want to marry Prince, she runs off. Um, we're introduced to the, I suppose, the, the hero of the movie, Lone Star, um, <laughs> very much a Han Solo or diet Han Solo it's um, yeah. his flying caravan is advertised as hero for hire. Yes. 
and it's Eagle Five on the number plate, isn't yeah. it? And they they've got their bumper sticker as well, which that's the I Love Uranus one, isn't yeah. it? Which is classic. <clears throat> Not one I wanted to put on my own car. I must admit. No, I, I suppose there are probably some cars it would double the value of, but I think um, it, it doesn't look out of place on their Winnebago. No. Yeah. Um, and we also meet John Candy as Bath, who is um, Chewbacca, but more like your average dog rather than a Wookiee or anything else. He's um, basically John Candy in a dog ears and a tail. <laughs> yes. And he, he's so adorable. Oh. Like, he, he makes a perfect man, dog, mog person. Uh, he's just, I mean, John Candy... I mean, he's great in everything. Mm-hmm. He's been in a couple of the, the episodes I've done previously, I guess, um, Planes, Trains and Automobiles and Splash. Mm-hmm. And in here, he's got so much... I mean, yes, he's not the main character, but he's allowed to be that kind of lovable without dominating too much. Um, he's such a great foil for Lone Star. Yeah, because they have such a great sort of switch between the straight man and the comic between them. Because um, Bill Pullman gets his moments to shine comedically but and john candy's perfectly happy to let him get on with it but equally pullman knows when to just let candy loose and i think they have such a great dynamic between the two of them yeah and they have that sort of buddy relationship that han solo and chewbacca do as well but Mm. slightly more in jest um yes and and slightly more untidy i think (laughs) Yeah, they, the Falcon ever was. They're slovenly pigs. We we'll give them that. Yes. <laughs> um, and we find that uh, they owe uh, Pizza the Hut. Uh, <laughs> it turns out to be one million space bucks. Just a nice yeah. round number. Um, if you haven't seen Spaceballs, I mean, go and you know rent it, whatever. But if you haven't, Pizza the Hut is imagine Jabba the Hut but made of pizza. That yeah. is it. Again, it's one of those simple, really obvious jokes, but just works and is really grotesque as well. Oh, it's awful. I mean, I, I, I'm i not a particularly big fan of pizza, so to me, it's uh, <laughs> watching it is just awkward. <laughs> it's, it's the way he oozes oh. and like things just drip. Oh, it's great. And it, things dripping. Yeah. It's just, it's not very He's nice. He's got his henchman, Vinny, who sits there going, you, mm, you're delicious. Yeah. Yeah, it's so creepy. I always wondered if uh, Vinny's the person who ate Pizza the Hut at the end. <laughs> Unfair to the payor, but not to the payee. <laughs> but you're gonna pay it, or else. <laughs> or else what? Tell him, Vinny. Or else pizza is gonna send out for you. <laughs> You're delicious, bro. Ciao, boys. Uh, we go to Spaceball City where Mel Brooks is playing President Scroob. Um, Scroob is Brooks backwards, of course. Uh, he's on the phone to someone. He's having to sniff out of a can of Perrier. Just, again, a. Uh, a quick visual gag that seems to land. There is sort of thing. That's the sort of gag you'd see in an airplane, I think, and yes. quite happily live there. Yeah, it's a very Zucker, yeah. Zucker type gag. <laughs> and this is the the big Star Trek gag where they talk about beaming him from one room to another, and they beam him. His head is backwards. Yeah, and he, in the room that he lands. Yeah, and he's 
I mean, he's obviously given away completely by the fact his hands are also the wrong way around, so he's literally just put his <laughs> suit on backwards. But Yeah, and padded his bum out. Yeah, it gives it a good old scratch. <laughs> and if you think this is the joke, it's not, because it turns out he's just in the room next door. So. Yes, yes, which is a lovely build, I yeah. think. Like Again, another obvious one. Um, I also really like uh, Snotty, the uh, Scotty stand-in, yeah. who counts. The lock one, lock two, lock three, lock Lomond. <laughs> and um, they stick him in a kilt as well, just. To... Yeah, and the Tamashanta, just to make sure that we got it. <laughs> yeah, in case you didn't, you're not 100 percent sure of your accents. In case you're worried, he might be Irish or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> stick him in some tartan, it'll be fine. <laughs> uh, the part where this is where the princess gets kidnapped by the space balls. Um, I guess it's just a, a silly gag where he says, "Fire a shot across her nose." <laughs> And you've got a cross-eyed gunner yep. who turns out to, his name is Asshole and the person who hired him is his cousin who is also cross-eyed and also an asshole. <laughs> yes. And it's just a joke, whole... yeah, a joke to see how many people can offer their name as Asshole. <laughs> and it turns out all but one of the bridge, <laughs> I think. Which is quite, you know, as a family business, it's quite something. <laughs> it probably suggests a lot of it if they're all cross-eyed as well. Yeah, it would explain the space balls, for sure. <laughs> I do love the guy who doesn't put his hand up. He just sits there very sheepish, almost like he's feeling left out. Yeah, like, oh, I'm not an asshole. <laughs> I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. Keep firing, assholes! <laughs> so the king, um, this is where he's as worried about the car as, as his daughter. And um, the daughter's handmaiden, which is the closest we get to a droid. It's um, mm. Dot Matrix, the Joan Rivers-voiced C-3PO. Is, uh, I'm not really an expert on Joan Rivers either. I've seen her on stuff. Uh, mm, but this was same. this was the first, and probably the only thing I'd really seen her on until I think, again, this shows what is on TV in my house sometimes, is those post-Oscars fashion shows. Mm. It sounds like I'm bubbling my wife up when I say she watches them but um, Joan Rivers before she died used to pop up on there basically either her and Kelly Osborne loving or loathing the outfits worn on the red carpet mm. and it, again it feels bad that you know, she's seen as this trailblazing female comedian but I don't really know a lot about her and maybe it's as much because she's American as anything else yeah I think she she also seems to be one of those that um sort of had her very specific niche like that sort of the kind of nasty woman comedian because I've seen I've seen some of her stand-up um but I must admit my only real knowledge of Joan Rivers is also Dot Matrix um and I never placed her voice I never connected the two for years <laughs> until I saw um probably one of those Oscars clip shows actually <laughs> um when I was like oh it's Dot Matrix um so yes not not something I'm culturally aware of yeah i guess the thing is that you know if you grow up in this country and especially if you're perhaps a little bit younger or it's easier these days with the internet and so on you know you didn't have access to you know stuff i mean you know if you're that way inclined you could watch saturday night live virtually live here now Mm. Um, whereas before, I mean, if, you know, it sound like I'm really old man. We'd, we had four channels and you know, <laughs> wasn't yeah. wasn't really the thing. But um, no, yeah. and I, I think as well because um, so like John Candy and you know the the 80s comedy scene was so tied into SNL and things like that. There there is that sort of slight cultural um, 
mismatch when Brits try and watch some of these films. You're trying to match up their sort of sense of humour. Yeah, because unless they make it big into films, Eddie Murphy's a, a peak example where you know he suddenly became this massive film star. And everyone mm. knew who Eddie Murphy was from the film. Well, say a lot of people knew who Eddie Murphy was from the films. And unless you'd seen Saturday Night Live or aware of it in this country, or you were, I suppose, in those circles, you may, maybe you'd seen him do stand-up or something like that. But mm. you know, that, that was something that was perhaps missed. Um, and you'd have to hope that you'd see the films and, and understand who these people were. And if you're lucky, go back and watch some of it in, in the future. Mm, yeah. I mean, the, there's one joke now, the the charming the radar, which we <laughs> talked about. Um, Sorry, it gets me every time. <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't really work on a podcast. I mean, the, the gag is as simple as when they say we need to jam the radar, just fire a huge jar of jam at a radar. <laughs> it's that simple and it's that funny. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, it, and I love the fact that you see the lid bouncing <laughs> off that says jam. Again, just to make sure you've yeah. got that that's what's happening. There's a big sledgehammer in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, one for forever 80s movies fans, you've got Michael Winslow, who's Jones from Police Academy, in a, a small cameo, um, just doing what he does best, just lots of random noises. Yep. Um, and and it's another one of my favourite bits where he's uh, speaking into the radio <laughs> yeah. and he's doing the special radio voice and then Sanders takes it off him and he does the voice again. Um, that's I love that whole sequence. The whole radar sequence is wonderful, and the fact that the jam leaks down through the screen <laughs> as well for no apparent reason. And Lone, uh, Dark Helmet realizes it's Lone Star because it's Raspberry. <laughs> yeah. It's like they have this history that I suppose at the time you might think, oh, they've got this huge backstory. Of course, later on, throughout the film, you kind of get that feeling as well. But by the end of it, again, this is no spoiler, the, the climax at the end is almost like they don't really have any history. They they no, hate he, each other he, for no reason. Yeah, and they, like there is a connection, but it's he, Dark Helmet's like his father's brother's friend's roommate or something. Yeah. I can't remember the full sequence, but... And that's it. That's the whole connection between the two of and them. And I think that's implied that they are of each other that that he is his roommate as they speak yeah you know, i think if you go for a family tree it basically goes into one big circle yes it's, yeah it's just so odd but then um bath manages to convince the princess and dot matrix to get into the winnebago and he's again he got a silly joke you know his name's bath he introduces himself as bath yeah uh, don't vomit in here mister this is a mercedes yeah mind the upholstery <laughs> so they managed to get her on board or them on board and there's the various gags about you know she's got her matching luggage <laughs> um, where he he's told that oh, she's a druish princess which is probably the the most transparent of the jewish princess jokes yes yeah. she doesn't look druish <laughs> <laughs> and again you've got you've got the gag where they seize the car the car gets brought up into the um, into the ship, and as soon as he realizes she's not in there, everyone covers their crotch and shouts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and even Sanders. Sanders is not immune. Yeah. Um, and then they got the outline of a Winnebago. Oh, I love the Winnebago. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I always think that. I mean, I, I suppose Winnebago must have had 
don't know whether they provided the vehicles for this or something, but whenever I've seen Winnebagos, which isn't a huge amount, I've always felt disappointed that they don't have wings. Yes, <laughs> exactly the same. Like, yes, but does it go through space? Because <laughs> otherwise I'm not interested. <laughs> does it have a little ladder that drops down? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we get to probably the the funniest sequence of the film, I think, um, where the Spaceball One is pursuing the Winnebago. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one. That one. Ludicrous speed. Yeah. Um, just as they get behind the Winnebago, they uh, they take off at light speed. And they say, oh, they've gone to light speed. What have they got on this? A Cuisinart, which... <laughs> I again wasted on young me, but now I mean Cuisinart's a brand of small kitchen appliances, I believe. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it goes from so they go. We're going to have to go right to ludicrous speed, and this is where the "What's the matter, Colonel Sanders?" joke comes. In. <laughs> Chicken. <laughs> Prepare ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow. Yes, we're going to have to go right to. Ludicrous speed. <gasps> Ludicrous speed. Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take us. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Yes, it's just, it's such a great line, and the the name like it, it had to be. They had to make something of it somewhere, but I think the way Rick Moranis delivers it is just it's so perfect because it is that sort of playground taunt <laughs> rather than a commander speaking to his. Um, <laughs> his underling it's you know <laughs> peer pressure more than anything <laughs> and you kind of get a, a couple of jokes to uh, emphasize the scale of space world one where it's talking about uh, close all shops in the mall and cancel the circus and my one of my favorite bits was said hadn't you better buckle up and he goes ah buckle this yeah <laughs> it, it's not a funny joke except it's mostly the way he says it yeah it's all in the delivery yeah, yeah. And it goes from light speed to ridiculous speed to ludicrous speed, which is as stupid as you think it is. Yeah. And then they go to Platt. Yeah. And they go (laughs) so far past them. Yeah, they overshoot them by a week and a half or something. And so something that I spotted this today was that Elon Musk used uh, light speed, ridiculous speed and ludicrous speed. Um for Tesla acceleration oh mode, which I think is it's the bizarrest connection, but it, uh, yeah, so that's a little tidbit for everyone. So if you ever get a Tesla, it'll have a ludicrous speed. Apparently oh, so, um, and it even has a plaid mode. Oh, you should use that more in marketing, people might actually get one. I'm, I'm, yeah, you'd hmm. think, wouldn't they? I, I mean, I'd certainly be tempted. If you could get it in a Winnebago shape, I'm there. <laughs> I'll go for a test drive next time I need a new car. Just mm. to go to ludicrous speed down the A3. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know I still get stuck in traffic, but it'd be funny. I'd yeah. laugh. And um, because he gets frustrated, they, they go past the Winnebago. They have to use an emergency stop brake, which stops <laughs> everything. And the hilarious sight of him flying into a panel helmet first. Yeah. <laughs> And when he gets up as well, I love that he turns into his Ghostbusters character yeah, for just the briefest period. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> He's basically the pre-key master. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's sort of meek and mild with a very flat helmet all of a sudden. I had the, and It sounds horrible. I, I watched this last night and... Um, I saw that bit where he's hold, bit where he's holding on to the bar, 
while mm. this is ludicrous speed, he basically f- looks like he's flying, and his face is contorted like it's the G-force. And all of a sudden, because it stops, he goes flying. And I kind of said, that looks a bit like if my three-year-old did that, the way he kind of just flies headfirst into something. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he, he stands up with his helmet's been flattened, and he says, oh, why don't we take a five-minute break? He just How are you today? becomes so meek. Yeah. Uh, Rick. And again, Rick Moranis, he's just, he's perfect. Like the whole switch that he does for that one, yeah. it's great. I was, this is the first film I've done that, that he's been in. And I suppose it was only, I mean, at the time of recording, I think it was about what, two or three weeks ago, it um, emerged that he's come out of his retirement. Yeah. I and mean, that's great news. It is, yeah, it is. Um, I think he's he's one of those just sort of instantly kind of friendly, comforting presences in a film. Um, it would be really nice to have him back, especially if they do make Spaceballs to the search for more money. <laughs> One um, day, hopefully. Which I know they, they've talked about, which would be hilarious. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would be really good to have him back in things again. Um, hopefully it won't just be a one-off. Yeah, because I think that the original idea is that he's meant to be in a remake of or a reboot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which... yeah. Sounds awful. I mean, I, I have no <laughs> beef for that film, but um, it feels almost like he's being wasted. Yes, I know what you mean. Like of all of his characters to bring back, it's it's probably not the first one I would have picked. But, no, unless um, unless it's just some elaborate way to shoehorn him into the new Ghostbusters film. Yeah, like a sort of backdoor type thing. Well, why don't we take a five minute break? Very good, sir. Smoke if you got him. So uh, the Winnebago clash- crashes onto the sand planet, which is uh, essentially Tatooine, and they uh, get all the marching across the dunes, and it turns out that um, all the essential luggage that the uh, princess has brought with her is essentially a giant hairdryer. <laughs> Industrial strength. <laughs> which you probably need for that 80s feathering, don't you, like, to really get it, get the volume going. Yeah, but I, don't, I mean, Bill Pullman had an impressive set of hair. He did, yeah. It's it's a proper proper uh, mop going on, isn't it? Yeah, it's very shiny and well kept. Yeah, uh... for a Winnebago bum. <laughs> I suppose this and uh, Independence Day are, are the the two sort of things I I remember him for. Um, I know he's in that one where he did he fall asleep with Sandra Bullock while she was in a coma. Oh, yeah, while you were sleeping. It's one of my favourite films. Um, okay, no, the brother, um, Peter Gallagher, is the one in a coma and um, right, okay. Bill Pullman plays his brother. Oh, uh, thank God. Yeah, yeah, no, he's the good guy. It's fine. <laughs> okay. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want to slag it off. It was your favourite film, but... Uh, yeah, one of yeah. them, yeah. Okay. No, it's, it's lovely. <laughs> Definitely recommend it. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to think. He, he, Independence Day, when he flew the plane... Was, there wasn't that Eagle 5 or didn't I have a call oh, sign? Oh, it's Eagle 1. Oh, is it Eagle 1? Okay. Eagle 1, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think, I'd been... love it if that was a reference, but <laughs> maybe too much of a coincidence. Yes. As they're marooned on this sand planet, uh, the space balls are frantically looking for where the our gallant heroes have gone to. Um, and this is another one of those gags that just works perfectly for the time. Yeah. Uh, how to find the heroes in Spaceballs the movie? Well, of course, we watched a video of Spaceballs the movie. How can there be a cassette of Spaceballs the movie? We're still in the middle of making it. Oh, that's true, sir. But there's been a new breakthrough in home video marketing. There has? Yes. 
instant cassettes. They're out in stores before the movie is finished. Nah. Here it is, sir. Spaceballs. Which is happening now, and they're yes. watching it then. <laughs> but they're watching it now, now. Yeah, I mean, now it's then. <laughs> yes. When will then be now? Soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's just so silly. Uh, yeah. got, and and this is called Mr. Rental, you know, just to go <laughs> yeah. Mr. Coffee and Mr. Radar. I, I mean, the, the Mr. thing must have been a a joke, a you know, deliberate thing. I don't know about 80s consumer products. I guess most machines would have, a vending machine would be called Mr. something or other. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they open this shutter to all these video cassettes that are there. And, and of course, all of Mel Brooks' back catalogues take pride of place. Yeah, um, nicely displayed. Yeah. And as they sort of scroll through them and Dark Helmet's sceptical, you know, is that, how can we watch it? We're still in the middle of making it. Yeah. Um, and one thing I didn't realise, I, I tweeted about this at the time. Um, and again, I probably because I was watching it on, on digital rather than video, um, I never realised the other videos in the shelves. Mm. Um, they had Rocky, and I think it went up to about Rocky 9. Yeah. And I think there was, was it Halloween or, or something else. Yeah, there's uh-huh. yeah, there's something else there. I can't remember what it is, but yeah. And I remember the, the Rockies. Yeah, and I just kind of think like that's the detail that goes into these visual gags, even... I suppose if you'd seen it at the cinema, you might have seen it because it's on the big screen in, in fairly... It should be fairly clear, but watching it at home on a 14-inch rented TV, mm. um, not quite the same thing. No. And, of course, when they fast-forward through the film to get to the point they need to see, and it just happens to land directly on where they are. Yeah. It's a, it's a cheap gag, but, God, it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, that sums up the film, really, doesn't it? But, <laughs> it, like, um, I love it when they're they're doing all the tests like you can see them turning around and turning back <laughs> and it's all perfectly timed <laughs> and then they, they find they, they all they have to do is fast forward a little bit just to work out exactly where they are yeah you get a dark helmet so out the loop when they say we'll have them tomorrow oh <gasps> yeah <laughs> and doesn't his helmet fall down at that point yeah. <laughs> when will then be now soon yeah oh if only darth vader had you know had that comic timing Exactly. Yes, Star Wars would have been very different. Probably yes. less less scary for a three year old, but you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, I mean, my my three year old. She's she's on the. She's got some Star Wars merchandise. Maybe she'll stick her in front of space balls and she she finds it funny. <laughs> I bet there will be some g- gags that land for sure. Yeah, there'll be there'll be something. I'm sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll try. <laughs> um. So back on the on the desert planet, we've got um. They've set up a camp for the night and Vesper and Lone Star start getting a bit, I would say close, it's probably the term for it. And mm. there's silly gags in there about, you know, where, where are you from? Somewhere in the Ford galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Silly. It's very um, silly. Yeah. Still funny. <laughs> um, and again, I... Probably wasted on young me. I, I don't know how advanced I was, but um, when just as they're about to kiss, the virgin alarm goes off. Yes, yes, uh, definitely something I missed um, because <laughs> they do it again in Men in Tights, don't they? They repeat the yeah. joke with the chastity belt, um, and that's. I remember watching Men in Tights back, and when I was a bit older, and just going, "Oh, that's what that's about," <laughs> and then watching Spaceballs, being like, "Oh, oh, I get it." <laughs> <laughs> you just that light bulb goes off in your brain and you're like oh oh yeah there we are 
And the uh, the other gag was, well, it's programmed to go off before you do. Yeah. <laughs> called him a sex fiend. Yes. <laughs> like, mm. all right, all right. <laughs> now, they are, the next day, walking through the desert, and they all faint. And uh, this, again, this shows that Bath and Lone Star want water. They just go, water, water. And the princess says, room service. Yes. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Yeah. Didn't obviously acknowledge, but didn't appreciate so much was um, as the space balls land on the planet. Um, Dark Helmet is now wearing a safari suit. Yes, and like, the pink helmet, <laughs> looking like Roger Moore, just in <laughs> clad in beige. Yes, and he's like absolutely gorgeous, knee high socks. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so perfect, and you know, you know, no expense was spared with the. Uh, the special effects as the, I think their their vehicle they didn't try and you know pretend it floated or anything they just put mirrors around the wheels to reflect yeah. the sand and it works I never noticed that until I read about it mm-hmm. I was like oh that's clever <laughs> I'm sure it saved them a few quid absolutely yeah the heroes are found by they're called the dinks I think yes yeah but, the dinks um, yeah the sort of budget jowers yeah <laughs> yeah uh, and they're taken to the temple of yogurt. Which yes. Just yeah, it's <laughs> yo, it's yo, it's Mel Brooks dressed as Yoda. Yes, it's a, yeah, golden sort of green, isn't he? Yeah, um, and he explains the concept of the Schwartz, which again, Force Schwartz, same thing. Uh, I think Bath at one point actually says the Force. He goes, no, no, the Schwartz. Yeah, <laughs> and everyone's like. Oh, the Schwartz. <laughs> like, like, it's a perfectly ordinary thing. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, we know about that. <laughs> this mystical power. And this is where he says, you know, what do you do here? And this is the merchandising stall. <laughs> it's just so brilliant. Yeah, and like, I love the fact that it's all, like, so the the lunchbox is a Transformers lunchbox, and yeah. you can really clearly see Optimus Prime on it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love, like, they basically just slapped a sticker on it, and we're like, yeah, that'll do. So this is all the stuff. I mean, it goes, you know, Spaceballs, the lunchbox, the breakfast cereal, which is 100% sugar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the ultimate Spaceballs, the flamethrower. Yeah, and the kids love that one. <laughs> yeah. I always wanted a Spaceballs flamethrower. Yeah, it would have been amazing. I mean, yeah. dangerous, for sure, but, you know. Yeah, well, you lose a few eyebrows, but, you know. Yeah, be worth it. <laughs> no harm, no harm. You know, we had most of the Star Wars toys, you know, we didn't get a flamethrower, so... No, exactly. <laughs> Walk this way, take a look. We put the picture's name on everything. Merchandising, merchandising, where the real money from the movie is made. Spaceballs the T-shirt. Spaceballs the coloring book. Spaceballs the lunchbox. Spaceballs the breakfast cereal. Spaceballs the flamethrower. <laughs> the kids love this one. Last but not least, Space Balls the Doll. Me. May the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> this is this is a bit that seems to be one of those meme sort of things where they say they've located them and they they're trying to track them down and so the the Space Balls and they ask President Scrooge what to do is just comb the desert. <laughs> <sighs> um. Yeah. Th- this isn't a subtle gag. No, not at all. We cut to space balls with giant combs. Combing the desert. Yeah. It, yeah, it looks like they're trying to make a rock garden. <laughs> and then just to rub it in, you've got two black space balls with an afro comb. 
Yeah, and also the one who says we ain't found shit, um, that's Tuvok from Voyager. It's Tim Russ. Oh, is it? I, yeah, I love okay. that as a little like Star Trek connection that would be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and he gets one of the best lines in the movie. So It's just so brilliant. It's, um, you know, and even Colonel Sa- Sanders is saying to him, are we being too literal? Yeah. He says, no, he told us to comb the desert, so we're combing it. <laughs> yeah, like, like, it's just one of those things. Like, that's what we have to do. <laughs> Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Uh, now, they managed to convince the princess to come out of um, Yogurt's uh, hideout by pretending to be the king and, and luring her out. And Lone Star and Bath leave with, they're given a fortune cookie. And it says, open it before you eat it. <laughs> and this is the uh, followed by the gag about perhaps we'll meet again in Spaceballs 2, the search for more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I, I would I would pay to see, like... If they wanted to crowdfund it, I would be there. I, I saw that there was an interview with uh, Mel Brooks in The Guardian quite recently. And I know he's in his 90s now, but you kind of think, surely there must be some some unfinished business. I mean, mm. people of all our generation are clamouring for Spaceballs too. <laughs> Especially because they started talking about it when um, The Force Awakens was announced. Because <laughs> I remember making the joke to my brother, like, well, maybe now they'll make Spaceballs too. <laughs> so um, it's definitely been, like, talked about. But um, if if anyone was going to do it, it wouldn't surprise me if Mel Brooks managed it in his 90s. Yeah. I mean, this is, a again, a gag that I make with people I know who've seen the film where... I've probably made it about the Force Awakens or something like that. Where, you know, what would the tagline be of a, a superfluous sequel to a film? It would be like the Fast and the Furious Fifteen: The Search for More Money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's just it's again just so insightful and perfect and snappy and um, and especially when it's parodying franchises like you. So you've got the Alien references in there, Star Wars. You know, all the films that got these sequels. <clears throat> Because Planet of the Apes is in there as well. Obviously, that has like a million and one sequels. Yeah. So no, it's just one of those like little moments that's just—it's such a rich gag for a one-liner. It's one of the ones that stayed with me longest because it always just pops up in my brain where you just think of—I don't know—they could have used it for Wall Street too. Or it could have been anything. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, yeah. it, I think they actually had money. Was it? What was that one called? It was, was it Money a... Never Sleeps? That's the it? one. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Pointless. <laughs> They've kidnapped the princess, and we get the brilliant scene of Dark Helmet playing with the action figures. Yes. And again, there's more jokes in there that were probably wasted on me, where, you know, the eventually the princess swoons for Dark Helmet. Says, Your helmet is so big. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one that hit me in later life. Like, oh. <laughs> and um, again, go back to the other ongoing gag about um i find you strangely attractive says, of course you do jewish i nearly fell for that <laughs> Dr- jewish princesses are often attracted to men with money and power and i have both yeah obvious and yet it still works yes yeah mm. the torture torture scene call it that yeah yeah <laughs> awesome. um how to convince a a rich man to give up a combination and threaten to give his perfect daughter back her old nose and there's just a picture of her with this enormous hook yes I love her reaction as well <gasps> like just the sheer horror of the prospect 
Yeah, and she faints. But um, yeah, <laughs> of course, the, the main gag of this scene is um, the combination to the airlock. <laughs> yes. And even though everyone sees it coming quite early, yeah, Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders are sitting there. Going, one, 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 two, 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 three, 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 four, 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 five, five, five. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. And it still takes a moment for it to click with them, doesn't it? Like, oh, that's what it is. They have to read it back. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. And then there's just a minor thing where that's the sort of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. And then Scroob says, oh, that's crazy. That's the exact combination on my luggage. Yeah. And then he's like, has someone changed the combination on my luggage? <laughs> One thing I did see, as um, Lone Star and Bath break into Spaceball City in order to save the princess, um, there's a bit of a shootout once they've got her out of her cell. And... Um, I didn't realise, uh, I should have done years ago, when they capture what they think is they, they've captured them and the gag is they've captured <laughs> their stunt doubles. Yes. And I, I didn't realise it was Stephen Toblowski yes. who was the guard. I know. So I had that moment today when I recognised him. I'd never noticed him before. Um, but yeah, again, another perfectly pitched reaction face from him when he realises <laughs> they're the stunt doubles. I mean, he's one of these, like, he's probably been in so many things. He'll always be Ned Ryerson yes. from Groundhog Day. But in this, he's just that very camp, sort of officious. I mean, if he was in Star Wars, he would be the Imperial officer. He's perfect. Yes. And then the, the stunt doubles are the princess with the Hitler moustache. And... <laughs> yeah. I just, I love the expression on all of their faces as well. <laughs> Just completely relaxed, like, yeah, you got the wrong guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the way out, she ends up grabbing a gun and she, because they, they singe a bit of her hair. Yeah. Because it drives her mad. She kills them all and, yeah, it's quite efficient. Yeah, yeah. Like Rambo, <laughs> they say, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, one of the gags which, at the time, you don't see the payoff coming until quite near the end of the movie. Um, in order to take... <sighs> take the air out of Druidia, um, the spaceship has to turn into a giant maid <laughs> who resembles the Statue of Liberty yeah. with a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, <laughs> it conveniently perfect. has a reverse button on it. <laughs> yeah. And when I say it's a vacuum cleaner, it's a huge vacuum, purely to suck out oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> and then what do you get when you've got a vacuum cleaner in a in this sort of film? Just lots of suck jokes. Yep. <laughs> the three of them chanting, suck, suck, suck. Yep, it's, again, crude, effective. Childish humour, which is exactly why this was one of my favourite films. Yep. <laughs> and as uh, as Lone Star uses the shorts to turn it back to reverse, it's just, again, she's gone from suck to blow. Yeah. <laughs> and the devastation. <laughs> Uh, wasted on young me, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm not we got young. there eventually. Both, of yeah, I'm not, we're not young anymore. No, uh, I'll speak for myself, but uh. oh no, definitely encroaching not young. <laughs> this is a, a Star Wars thing, you know. They, they enter the maid of the maid's ear to <laughs> find the self destruct button, and of course, we have to have the ultimate conflict between Lone Star and Dark Helmet in a locker room. 
which yeah. just happens to have the ship self-destruct button in it. Yes, of course, as, as you do. <laughs> as a lightsaber fight, when you compare it to, I suppose, the, the original lightsaber fight in the original Star Wars film, it's actually probably better. Yes. <laughs> Bear in mind, in the original Star Wars, you've got Alec Guinness and, and Darth Vader looking like two old men poking each other with sticks. <laughs> This actually gets quite acrobatic at some points. Yes, it does. Yeah, because uh, Bill Pullman does a backflip at one point, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Bill Pullman stunt double my slightly. But... <laughs> I think it, I think it, if you close up, it actually it very much was Bill Pullman stunt yeah. double. <laughs> um, and they, the, like one of the, my favourite gags is when they get tangled up, <laughs> and the lightsabers get wrapped together, and they, like they're like, "Oh, I'll put my leg there, and then you push." <laughs> And they uh, kill one of the cameramen. And... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so silly. It's, you know, again, this is, there's not much subtlety when it comes to the lightsaber is penis yeah. gag. It's, um, you know, let, let's hold them by our crotches and measure them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yours um, the same size as mine. One, and again, one of my favourite bits of, of this fight was um, just the bit where and I don't know how, you know, I suppose you shouldn't try and apply logic to these films, when Lone Star's trying to hit Dark Helmet with a lightsaber and it's just not doing anything. Yeah. So Lo- Dark Helmet lifts his helmet, starts laughing him, so just punches him in the face. Yeah. Which feels like um, an Indiana Jones yeah. knock, um I think. Or it certainly read that way to me with the, you know, the fancy uh, work and then just, no, I'm just going to hit him. Yeah, punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it was holding him at arm's length while he's just swinging the <laughs> yeah. light. <there. laughs> yeah, again, just so childish. Yeah. Um, poor Rick Moranis. <laughs> oh, hero. But then the, uh, the the bit where, of course, because the, the lightsabers in this are, are based in, in a ring and Dark Helmet, just in going to shake his hand, just takes the ring off it and yeah. chucks it down a vent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then you have the whole bit like, no, it was never the ring, it was you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Mel Brooks' really voice anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, like, what what strikes me about that lightsaber fight and sort of is the affection for the material they're parodying. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why Brooks is so successful at his spoofs is because he genuinely loves the films he's taking the mick out of um, and clearly had an absolute blast, like, finding all the ways he could emulate Star Wars whilst also, like, ripping it apart. Um, and the lightsaber fight, yeah, for me, is, like, the perfect encapsulation of that with all its silliness, but it's actually still a proper fight. Yeah. Because, I mean, at its heart, I mean, Star Wars is essentially a, an adventure film and where they're knights and all this, you know, the, the, the lightsabers and the sci-fi element is just the modern, re- or the then modern retelling of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a classic sort of heroes and villains tale except you know and with this it's it's pretty much the same thing except you've got the similar effects but um just the again as you say the the affection that's there mm. it's um the gags made are the sort of ones that you could you know wouldn't necessarily get away with it they, they are childish they are silly they are stupid but together they work really really well yeah yeah and it because it, it's all on that sort of 
that sort of clever silliness as well. You know, there's clearly a lot of thought gone into things like Colonel Sanders and mm. Mr. Radar. Um, they're very silly, but they're also meticulously constructed within the sort of the wider framework of the Star Wars parody. Yeah, I mean, it, it works in a way that um, when we looked at Airplane on one of the episodes and how Airplane was essentially built on an old film mm. down to the down to the script and then the jokes were sort of loaded on top um and again with with a parody that's already kind of built in and you know this is so heavily leaning on Star Wars but it would be quite easy to either put too many jokes on there or get the wrong angle or something like that and it wouldn't work at all and yet this you know I, I'll be this is no airplane mm. but it's a very very good rival yes no i agree i think I, I don't think it has quite as many jokes that land as airplane hmm. um purely because i don't think you can go about 20 seconds without laughing at something in airplane <laughs> yeah. and there's there are definitely sort of ropey bits around the edges <clears throat> in Spaceballs, but it is that sort of it has such a solid framework on which to build that you can kind of get away with doing the ridiculous things like combing the desert um as well as, you know, a proper lightsaber fight at the end of it where, you know, lightsabers are their penises, you know, all this kind of thing. <laughs> we need more of those jokes in film. I mean, films today are so serious. <laughs> yeah, where's all the comedy? Yeah. But I, I think, like, especially when you talk about spoofs and parodies, I think the big thing that has been lost from that genre is the affection for the material. I think there's mm. a tendency to lean towards the meme in the humour nowadays, whereas I... I doesn't land for me it might work for other people but i much prefer something that's lovingly taking the mick out of um a genre rather than just sort of poking holes in it yeah i mean we kind of went through that phase i think in the was it the 2000s when you had the scary movie films yeah and i think they started because i think the first one was a zucker film um really i think so yeah or at least he was heavily one of them was heavily involved Mm. um and then I, I lost track of how many sequels that went to. Because yeah. um, I think the first one essentially ripped off Scream. Yeah. But then it started this whole genre of epic movie. and uh, Yeah, Meet the Spartans. And... Yeah, the yeah. Date, date movie, I think. I, I didn't see them. I, I remember seeing them in the video shop. I remember them. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and again, they were just kind of... They, they didn't seem to have that necessarily affection. It was just, how can we get disgusting set pieces in and how can we get stupid visual gags? And this was, I suppose, as maybe the internet was taking off and they were hoping some of it might have gone viral or whatever. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, if you base it mostly affectionately, and especially, I mean, especially with this, it has such a perfect cast, mm. or, or pretty much anyway. And you know, most of the, the other films you later on would either have the odd cameo from uh, probably charlie sheen or something like that and then a bunch of people who either you'd never heard of or probably Mm. had been done for something and were trying to find their way back like charlie sheen (laughs) (laughs) yep (laughs) yeah and i think as well like um particularly with mel brooks spoofs and probably the zucker ones as well is that the cast all tend to be on that same sort of level of they love the material and they love what they're parodying um, and I think it really shows, like, even if you weren't a Star Wars fan, you can see kind of where the love of that that comes from within like, the screenplay for 
uh, for Spaceballs and all the gags that that go with it. Um, and it does make a difference. I think it makes for a, a sort of a nicer, sillier atmosphere when watching a film like that. And I think we we, we kind of lost that. Um, I'll be honest. I've just googled scary movie. Mm-hmm. Um, David Zucker directed the third and fourth scary movie films. Oh wow! Jesus oh. Christ! It wasn't even the first one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Blimey. Oh, oh dear. Oh, well. He's still alive. He's still got time to turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You can do it. Yeah. Um, so um, we get the dark helmet set off the self-destruct button by essentially being he got the laser in his balls yeah so his helmet set the button off so we got the um panic escape mode um the scene with the escape pods which i saw was actually footage from the first star wars film yes yes and i re- i noticed it this time i was like oh yeah. it really like i really clicked I always thought, oh, that looks familiar. Oh, no, it is the same. Yeah, yeah. it's literally the same thing. <laughs> I suppose it must be handy if George Lucas says, you may use that. That's fine. Yes, yeah. yeah. Definitely have him on side for these things. <laughs> um, and then you've got the um, the whole thing, the bearded lady and the bear, and it all just gets really silly. <laughs> yeah, and I, I love the fact that it calls back to the earlier, like, um, the go to plaid sequence, <laughs> where they say, like, uh, close all the shops. and. yeah close down the circus because you've got all the circus performers running around yeah. um, panicking and then yeah the bearded lady <laughs> and as um, the Winnebago escapes uh, Spaceball 1 explodes over than the head and the handle of the vacuum cleaner <laughs> they find that Pizza the Hut has locked himself in his limo and eaten himself to death yeah um, I and still then think the... was involved oh yeah <laughs> guilty party and the news clips <laughs> this goes back um of review of Rocky Five Thousand, <laughs> yeah. and I mean this is obviously prescient because I mean this would have been before Rocky Five, mm. so they'd only had, I'll say only, only four <laughs> Rocky movies at the time, and I think at the time of recording we're at what eight if you count mm. the other two. Yes, I believe yeah, so. so. Yeah, getting there, getting there. And there's also there's earlier on in terms of prescience, there's the Disneyland gag as well, isn't there? Oh yeah. When Lone Star's like, we're in Disneyland. <laughs> um, yeah, which I, I found very amusing watching it in the context of Star Wars being owned by Disney now. Yes. Well, to be fair, I think everything's owned by Disney now. <laughs> very true. <laughs> and I mean, if Disney would like to buy this podcast, I'm very much for sale. <laughs> they um, they drop the princess back at, um, at Druidia. Uh, and one of the, the gags that gets replayed an awful lot, um, the diner scene... Yes. <laughs> Where, if you look very carefully, the Millennium Falcon is part there. Yes, yes, it is. Um, and they, uh, they uh, Bath and Lone Star order something until they realise that another party further down the line, including one Mr. John Hurt, is also there. In, in, and what I only realised recently were what very much looked like the badges of the Nostromo from the Alien mm. movie. So, um, yeah, I think... Yeah, that's um, the chest burster scene happens, and he's oh no, not again. Yes, and it's so wearily like delivered. It's just, <laughs> ugh, here we go. <laughs> no, I love that moment. I think that's one of the ones that because um, I saw Spaceballs before I saw Alien. Yeah, same. Um, so it never landed for me in the same way. And then once I'd seen Alien and went back to watch Spaceballs, mm. yeah, it's probably my favourite gag in the movie of all of them. I think. <laughs> The alien sings and... Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
with his cane and his top hat. <laughs> it's as ridiculous as it sounds. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Take two of the wedding, the Princess Vesper and the, the easy gag of Princess Valium. <laughs> the narcoleptic. Yes. Uh, Bath opens the fortune cookie and we find out that the medallion that Lone Star has, because he doesn't know who his parents are, uh, we skipped over that whole bit. Um, oh, yeah, we did, didn't we? Yeah, we um, he... <laughs> it's only really important now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has a medallion, doesn't know what it says. It turns out that he is a prince. Obvi- obviously. Um, so they use the uh, the conveniently left liquid Schwartz <laughs> for their caravan to make it all the way back to the wedding, just in time for him to turn up uh, in a very nice white jumpsuit. Yeah, I want to know where he got that from, because that can't have been in the Winnebago. <laughs> yeah, and he was in such a hurry to get there. I, I doubt <laughs> that I doubt the local Moss Bros was uh, outside <laughs> setting them. Yeah, with epaulets and everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite something. And Bath, I think Bath's had an embroidered patch on it, didn't it? Unless he'd, yeah. take, he'd taken that from his work coverall. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. So they end up together, they get married. Um, and pretty much the final gag is the, um, the space balls land on the planet with the sort of Statue of Liberty head. Yep, on the beach. <laughs> At the planet of the apes. Yes. Yeah, there goes the planet. <laughs> Again, this one where they say, oh, shit. Yeah. Um, I, I saw one of the trivia bits on IMDb was, was it Michael York? Yeah. Who was in the original Planet of the Apes, went, spent so much effort trying to say this wasn't him, this wasn't him, that he just gave up in the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah it's he, been credited him, like, everywhere, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to it. I mean, it doesn't sound like him at all, but... No, it doesn't. <laughs> I suppose he'd only be worried if he got paid for it, but um, but then yeah. I mean, he, what can he say? He was in was he in all three Austin Powers films? Yeah. So yeah, I think so. Yeah, Basil Exposition, wasn't it? Yes. So yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah, I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he survived. Ah, <laughs> oh, so anyway, that was Spaceballs. Yes. Thank you. What a treat. Um, oh, David. Thank and you we, for having me. No, and we probably missed about two thirds of the gags just oh. in the or going through it. But um... definitely, well, people <laughs> can discover it for themselves if they decide to partake. Yeah, and one thing I did—I I, I mean, if I had more time, I'd have gone through because um, I've got the version that's on iTunes at the moment, and um, it has got all sorts on there. There's documentaries. There's a there's a Mel Brooks director's commentary. Oh, um, I need this. Yeah, there's I a... haven't got this version. I've just got an old DVD. <laughs> um, there's a making of documentary. There's various um, clips and spoofs and and bits. And one thing I did watch because it doesn't take very long is it goes through the entirety of the movie in ludicrous speed. <laughs> 
That's amazing. It is exactly how you think. (laughs) They fast forward the movie and I think it takes about 35 seconds. (laughs) That is brilliant. I love it. um, I did watch that. I tried to... um, I tried to rip it off my laptop and put it on Twitter, but it, they obviously are aware of these things and yeah. <laughs> won't allow such nonsense. But um, if you do get Charles, I mean, I I think I got it for two or three quid a couple of months ago. So um, if if anyone's out there and can get it, they might be on YouTube or something like that. But um, yeah, definitely dig these out. And those documentaries, I I hope one day I have the time to sit down and watch them. I know <clears throat> this is something you did rages on the arguments about digital and physical media and all this stuff but if they're going to put these extras on there it'd be nice to actually sit down and watch them yes absolutely i love a good extra i'll have to dig oh. this version out so i can uh, i can have an afternoon of just spaceballs documentaries be brilliant. Uh, yeah and, I, and if the commentary an afternoon of mel brooks talking about spaceballs yeah. for an hour oh. and a half ideal yes <laughs> oh yeah i need to go oh, i might go and watch that now oh anyway becky thank you for bringing your copy of space balls the movie from mr rental now where can we find you and your various um film writings yeah so um i'm on twitter um it's becky grace lee and lee is spelled l-e-a which is a common mistake so (laughs) you can find me there um and i've got uh, my own blog um great adaptations where i look at um more serious films than space (laughs) um where I look at how uh, films have been adapted from uh, the books that they're based on, uh, basically, and I'm I'm trying to post on that more regularly. So there will be updates soon. Yeah, we'll um, we'll link to those on the the show notes of the podcast and on the various plugs on on Twitter and Facebook and that, so um, people can find you. And um, if they have any spaceballs related conversation, they can uh, direct it your way. Absolutely. I'm always yeah. ready to talk about Spaceballs. <laughs> um, I say direct it in my way once I've seen the documentaries because, <laughs> yeah, this is the problem. They fast forward for all that. They don't show the director's commentary at ludicrous speed either. Oh, oh I bet that's hilarious. They'd be like a high-pitched chipmunk, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, so as is tradition on this podcast, um, the number one song when this movie was released in the UK on the 11th of December 1987 was China in Your Hand by Tapao. As we discussed off air, a classic. Becky, thank you very much again. Thank you. I'll speak to you soon. Don't push to fire dreams of China in your hand. Don't wish too hard because they may come true and you can help them. You can This episode is brought to you by executive producers Gary West, Fergus Higginson, Keith Foster, Jimmy Fletcher, Mark Drakes, Matt Cunnington, Christian Dees, Andy Elliott, Chris Hopkins, Omar Zambon, Ian Madrell, Catherine Lowe, Mark Makin, Zoltan Vargo, Simon Smith, and Matt Lee, associate producer Chris Oakley. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club for more information about bonus episodes, early access and more. Those signing up now will find the first bonus episode, The Hunt for Red October. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, and subscribe and tell all your friends.